so this theme of uh, having a theme and the idea of focusing on a certain niche, it stuck with me because I tend to have a lot of ideas and ideas don't necessarily categorize themselves and you tend to get a, you tend to feel obligated to put them all out there. But I started to think about it and I thought, well, I don't have to as a videographer or filmmaker or photographer, I don't have to make videos on every topic that a filmmaker would be looking for. I don't need to be the dictionary or the library because that's what YouTube is. I just need to contribute what I have that's unique um, or at least a unique perspective on that topic. So I started thinking, okay, what are my uh, unique things that I can contribute? You know, uh, it's also been said by a lot of these YouTube pros, you know, don't go copy someone else. And, and they say, you know, be yourself. And I've heard, I mean, I've read some comments that um, people are a little bit frustrated about that. They're like, oh, come on, that's just idealism. You know, you got to, essentially, they're trying to argue from the standpoint of, well, you got to design your videos based on the algorithm and all that. And yes, you do need to title your videos, you know, make them searchable, things like that. But the point is, staying focused on your niche means that when someone goes and searches for content, if you do write the correct keywords into it, then they're going to find your unique perspective on that topic. So I'm not saying you're just, you have to do a topic completely different than everybody else. No, because we're talking about being within a certain, um, you know, target audience that, let's say, likes photography or filmmaking or whatever it is. You're still going to be within that. And you're not, you're not going to say, well, there's people in that space already. So I have to be in a completely new space. Well, that's not going to work because there's not even a category on YouTube for it. You know, there's not even a, an audience out there for it. And, and how you can know if there is an audience for the type of content or the category, I should say, of content that you plan to create is, do you see a ton of videos out there for it? So don't, first of all, don't feel bad and say, oh, I can't do it because there's tons of people doing this already. Just remember that even if there's a ton of people in your category, that means there's a ton of viewers. And also that means there's been a sort of a culture created already. And let's just just, just uh, venture out here and kind of um, kind of make something up in, the, in, in this analysis and say, before people were teaching photography or filmmaking on YouTube, there was nobody doing it. And then somebody started to do it. You know, who knows who the first one is? I'm sure people know, uh, who know this stuff better know. But just think, there was one, then two, now there's 50, 1,000 maybe. So, I didn't say 50,000, maybe there's 1,000 now. So, but the point is, it's not a bad thing to be in the same category. But now let's talk about how that is different than being in your own, or having your own niche. So the first step when someone does a search on YouTube is they put in what they think they're looking for. And the first step might be a general word, or maybe they write a sentence. Okay, so somewhere in that sentence is going to be a general word, a keyword, we call them. So that keyword might be photography, or it might be uh, lenses, or it might be 
a specific model of camera. But the point is they're going to be searching for information. And if you have a different take on something that 20 people have a video about, but yours is a little different, you're still going to come up in the search. That is, if you if your videos are well-liked, perhaps. But if, you, if you're worried that you're not going to be found, that's not the problem. So where I'm really going with this is that the point is your niche makes your channel unique. Not your keywords. Your keywords are going to be similar to what other people are, are using as well. It makes your channel unique. And then once people find your videos because of keywords that other people are using, and because of topics that other people are talking about, once they find your channel unique, then you have somebody who sticks with you and knows you for what you talk about. That is, they know you for your niche. So, so I'm going to summarize my, um, my niche for you guys, but I'm going to use it uh, as, a, as an example uh, to, to show this point. So let's just say my niche is, and I do have a few things uh, I can pull off the top of my head, but because I'm still kind of developing it and f getting the focus all down, I'm not going to be um, sticking to these in, uh, forever necessarily. I'm just going to be I'm just pulling these off the top of my head. So what we're talking about for me is my channel is in the category. So remember, the category is going to be shared by others. The category of filmmaking. Photography kind of transitioned into that, and so I'm now using motion pictures, if you want to say it that way. So filmmaking. So that includes what I call lights, cameras, and audio. So I break it up into those three things. Now, obviously... That's not unique. Lights, you know, lighting for video or for photography, that's a very common subject. Cameras, which include lenses, obviously not a very unique topic. And then audio, of course, that's not an, a unique topic as well. But now let's talk about how I have a unique take on these things. So my unique take on these things, well... I'm not going to summarize quite yet until I give my little disclaimer. It's going to be a little bit controversial, maybe, right? Because I think differently than others, and, and, don't, and I can't worry about this. I can't worry that some people are going to disagree, and some people are going to say, oh, that's a dumb idea. Why would you even say that? You know, If you get that kind of feedback, by the way, in your comments, hey, guess what? It means that you have a unique opinion. Now, some people, when something is different, they will immediately criticize it. And that's just, I don't know, just habit. It's just how people process. Sometimes people process um, information by talking. I'm like that. And so when people like this come across a new idea, what can happen, and sorry for the side note, but this is very important, what can happen is they will immediately criticize, whether that's spoken word or written word. It's similar because they're giving feedback. But you know what they're doing? They're not saying, I'm never going to consider your idea. They're saying, you know, even if they say something like, that's a bad idea. They're saying from where they are right there and their perspective, they've never heard of it before. And so initially it comes across like, that's a bad idea. Some people actually have this mentality based on um, an assumption. 
Um, and I'm an inventor type of person, so I don't have this uh, assumption in my mind. But the assumption that things the way they are is the right way to do it. And that's another topic for another recording. But this is why I believe some people respond negatively to a new idea. So I just said that to, to say I'm going to give you my take on these topics, uh, filmmaking, lights, camera, and audio. And you may not agree with it initially. So so what's your response going to be? You might say, well, I'm just not going to listen to any anything else from Silverlight Photo. I just don't trust you anymore because I don't agree with you. Well, <clears throat> you could do that. Or you could say, hmm, I've never heard of that before. But let's take a look. And I know I'm going to lose some people. And and just as a teaching uh, you know, experience here, you're going to lose some people if you disagree. Now, I'm not talking about being confrontational. I'm definitely not talking about starting fights and, and, and personal uh, attacks. And there's no reason to disagree with people in a, in a mean way because that doesn't cause them to be open to your idea, right? It just, it just basically gives them fuel to, to think you're a bad person. And, and then they're just going to shut down even more to being open to your ideas. So so now, uh, having said that, giving the prelude to me giving my ideas, you can tell I'm a little uncomfortable still um, giving my unique take on, on filmmaking. So, but okay, let's just get into it now. But I, I just want to give that because I know you'll go through that too when you have unique ideas. So let me jump into my unique ideas and therefore the niche of my channel. Okay, so... If you've watched any of my videos, starting with the very first one, you know that preserving a sense of reality is very important to me. Now, if you're coming to my channel to get technical information, you're going to get that. You're going to get some very, what I call, easier done than said tutorials. And you're going to get, well, just put it this way, whether you agree with my philosophy of, of reality-based shooting or not, which is one of the things I believe in, you might still benefit from the technical information and the shortcuts and the tips and everything like that on my channel. So, you know, I am risking a little bit um, losing some, some people. But, you know, and I even considered making a podcast that talked about philosophical things and completely not having that on my main YouTube channel and just being sticking to the facts, the technical, you know, no, no opinions in it or anything like that. But... You know, this whole thing about being unique on YouTube, I think, could be a reason to maintain some of that content on my main channel instead of just having it on these podcasts. So let's talk about it. What are the things? I, I gave you the first one. What is the second one? Well, the, so the first one was reality-based shooting, and the second one is now a technical um, extension of that. So how do you maintain a sense of reality with your technical uh, approach. But my techniques for preserving reality really are pretty simple. Number one, capture the scene with a natural audio and natural color and no technical faults that are distracting. You know, there are a lot of little things that people say um, no one appreciates the technical aspects of audio recording 
unless it's bad, right? Then they really notice. Or nobody appreciates that you have done a lot of work to keep the camera steady unless it's not steady enough. So the technical and the philosophical kind of complement each other, but you can you can visit my channel and kind of ignore my opinions if you want to just get some really good tips for um, making production easier and less expensive. Okay, so let's let's just go through these really quickly. Again, and there's a couple more. Number one, preserving the sense of reality. Number two, capturing audio and video in an accurate manner. That means no flaws that distract. And then making it easy. Um, I call it easier done than said, but I also talk about the idea of making it so easy that you can do it when you're under stress. Because if you can do it when you're under stress, then it's really easy when you're not. And they say, well, that's when you can really be creative because you're not so worried about the technical anymore. You've got that down. Now, this one, I know a lot of people would agree with me, but some people wouldn't. I, I think that the reason would be um, they're going to say something like, oh, you're just being lazy. You're just you're trying to make it easy because you just don't want to do the hard work. You know, some people have this sort of torture me mentality. Um, I don't know if they, I think there's a word for that. I think it's called sadism or something like that. But but the point is they have this mentality that if it's easy, you must be doing something wrong. There's even a phrase out there, it's not hard work unless you'd rather be doing something else. I don't quite agree with all, all of the pieces of that. I mean, yeah, it can be hard at times, but if, if you like doing it, I mean, we've got all kinds of examples of people doing things that were difficult that they love. I mean, so the next thing is, it doesn't have to be expensive. Good quality doesn't have to be expensive. Well, why would that be offensive or at least uh, contradictory to the way some people think? Well, that is because there's a phrase out there that you get what you pay for. And that is one of the phrases that I would say I almost wholeheartedly disagree with because <clears throat> it doesn't always turn out that way. And so my counter to that phrase, you get what you pay for, is you get what you get and you pay what you pay. And what I mean by that is if you buy a camera that, oh no, let's, let's give a real world, real world example. I found a Steadicam vest and arm at the thrift store for $10. I purchased it for $10, and I'm, I, was, I was kind of shocked by it, and I told um, a videographer who was a, who was a veteran, he was also my senior, and I told him he's had a production company for many years, and I said, um, I found a Steadicam at the thrift store. Can you believe that? And he said, you found a steady cam at the thrift store? And I'm sorry for the loud audio here, but yes, I did. And and the only thing it was missing was there was a a little um mounting pin that when you take off the steady cam arm, um that pin pretty much comes out and then when you put the steady cam arm in, you just drop this pin in there and it holds it. And so I didn't have the pin but I had the vest and the arm. So I called up the company, um, or I contacted them somehow, and they sent me this pin for like $14 and some cents. And I was so excited. So now I had a Steadicam vest and arm, and I, and I got it for $10. So you get what you pay for? 
no, I got it for $10. Uh, so the reason my people might still disagree is that they say, well, I'm talking about retail price. I'm talking about the actual price that a you know, big company who's done the market research puts on a product is going to be you get what you pay for. Okay, I understand that. Okay, I see I see their argument there. I know that deals happen and they're not, they're not going to say bargains aren't out there. But they basically say and and their prey for the in in marketing they or advertising they call this a high price strategy. They're prey for this because they believe if you pay more money for something that's a legitimate company with a, you know, a legitimate product that you're going to get a better product. Well, I know that's not true because I came from a marketing background. And in marketing, in advertising for the for your product, there is a, a strategy called the high price strategy. And their concept, and they you, we've probably all heard this before, is I don't have to sell a million of these copies, I just have to sell one for a million, right? Um, something like that. Or else you're going to say, I'm going to sell them for 99 cents each, but I have to sell a million to make a million, right? So it's a high price strategy. And there are products that are not that much better than a mid-range or even a low-end product, but they cost 10 times as much. We have some examples. Um, oh, there's just lots of examples in uh, video equipment. And uh, one that's pretty easy to explain is, is the vintage lens um, phenomena. So when lenses were created, they didn't say this is going to be a low price lens. At the time, most lenses from big companies, well, okay, let me qualify that. The kit lenses, the lower price lenses, yes. Okay, those were made for the excuse that they have to put a lens on the camera so that you'll buy their better lenses. Okay, got that out of the way. But when we're talking about prime lenses and professional lenses here. So when you go buy vintage primes and vintage professional lenses, they can be very inexpensive. And for a while there, they were very inexpensive because nobody thought of this early on anyway, that when um, Panasonic and Olympus came out with a micro four-thirds format, and you could all of a sudden buy an adapter for any, almost any mount out there, and you could buy great glass that nobody wanted to buy anymore, because all the new cameras were, you know, Canon EOS. You can't mount the old Canon on that, right? Or, um, I mean, some people may have known about the trick about mounting a Nikon lens on a Canon because there were adapters for that. But there were a lot of lens mounts that people pretty much gave away to the thrift store at that point. They didn't think they were worth anything. They couldn't use them themselves because they had a Canon or a Nikon. But when Olympus and Panasonic came out with a micro four-thirds format, this whole market of lens adapters came out and it rejuvenated the, the lens market, the vintage used lens market. And there's just a ton of YouTube videos out there now. So you get what you pay for? Is that really true? Well, you see what happened is those lenses were designed, when they were new, to be the best. They were designed to be the best. They were they were not designed to be a budget lens when they were new, 20 years ago or whatever. So they're still good. Now, I've heard um, nothing against camera sales guys because I I know a lot of camera uh, salesmen and I, 
and I, I really appreciate them. And I've got a lot of uh, them that I work with that are honest ones too. Uh, by the way, usedphotopro.com. I highly recommend them. They're a place that I have open conversations with about um, about their products and pricing and everything. So it's great. Well, when you talk about vintage lenses that used to be pro lenses that became so-called obsolete because the mount changed. By the way, this is coming up again with the new Canon uh, mount and the new Nikon mount. What happens to the old lenses? Do they become optically deficient? Well, I mentioned the camera sales um, conversation because I had some conversations. This happened more than once, two or three times, where I asked about why can't I use older lenses on my camera? So what happened at that point? I was using a Panasonic camera at the time, and so I was talking about adapters, and that was apparently not the right thing to talk to or talk about to a camera sales guy when he wants to sell you a new lens, right? So what I got from them was all kinds of stuff. Um, they're not designed for digital. They were designed for film. So they're not going to work as well. And 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 they have got they've got this down to telling me that it's sort of scientific. I mean, they'll say things like, um, "I just wasn't designed for digital, so it's not going to resolve the same or whatever." Well, maybe that's true, but guess what? I've I've got a little bit of a, another thing here that's a part of my niche. Some of those lenses are too sharp. The new ones are too sharp, and they give you too much color, too much contrast, too much sharpness for the sensor. And what's the result? It doesn't look real. Back to my first thing. It doesn't retain the sense of reality. Okay, just a little bit of self-promotion here for another episode. I do have an episode about the lens sensor relationships, and um, I highly recommend that. I'll put that. I'm trying not to go too long in this whole thing about vintage lenses and and uh, the whole concept of you get what you pay for. But the point is, you can tell that I totally believe. That it's not the dollar amount or the the amount of money that you pay for a lens, for a camera, for lighting, for whatever. It's what you get. And that, I think, is something that I just can't get out of my system. I can't get it out of my blood. It's in my blood. It's part of my thinking. I think it's coming from my budgeting uh, background. It's, it's just really, it makes it possible, let's just say this, this is part of the niche of my channel to help people get quality and yet save money and identify where the deals are. And you know what? These deals happen unintentionally. And let's just try to save that for another episode because when I get into this topic, you can tell that I I don't want to get off the topic and I want to really help people understand that you can figure out ways to save money uh, for film and video production. So obviously that's part of my niche is saving money and identifying how to do that. So these are different parts of my niche. But you can see that some of these things will be controversial. But if you just be patient and you just give uh, the perspective you have, and don't be set in stone, you know, be, be open to revise it, but, you know, you might just be correcting a little bit of error that you have, or a lot, but you're going to learn too. And if you put the ideas out there, you might be 
partially right, and probably most of the time partially right. And so the good thing about that is you've brought a new perspective into view, and that is what I'm saying is going to be what makes your channel unique. It's going to be, if you if you try to copy other people, you try to do exactly what they're doing, it's already been done. Why do the same thing? They're probably going to do it. I mean, you might do it better than them, but what? Well, why, right? So this is just the point, is that when you have a unique idea, don't worry if you get some negative comments. That's going to happen. And in fact, that might be an indicator that your idea is unique. But just keep thinking through it, keep testing it. That's the biggest thing is keep testing it. Try to make it so you actually know this idea works before you put too much of it out there. But I do put ideas out initially to get feedback. And and that's a good thing, I think. That's part of my channel is putting an idea out there and then developing it and testing it. And then if it is a good idea, moving that into the how-to phase where I will make a tutorial since we found out that it works, right? So I'm going to close this episode. But the biggest thing here is that focusing on a niche is going to mean that you might have some different ideas. And hopefully you can handle a little bit of criticism along the way, but just keep testing and your channel is going to be unique enough that when someone looks for uh, some tips, they might want your flavor. They may want your approach because they know you're going to be, you know, you, because you're going to be known for, let's say, your top five rants. Or I'm, I'm not going to say you should rant because sometimes there's frustration involved and we don't want that. But you're going to be known for certain things that are in your heart or part of, you know, they're in your blood and you say them over and over again and don't worry about that. I'll just end with that comment. If you have some things that you really believe and you repeat them, it's not necessarily a bad thing. I'm not saying to let it escalate to frustration again. Just be careful to not do that because that doesn't help prove your point. But if you're going to be giving information um, that is new or at least a different perspective, then just remember you're going to have to repeat it. It's not, Because it's not already established, it's not out there, you're going to have to bring it more than once. So if your channel only has five main points that you bring and, and, and there's so many episodes you have that repeat these points, that's a good thing, right? Because then you're going to become known for those things. Um, you know, there are people who become known for a certain saying. And at first people might say, well, that's a kind of a weird saying. But if they say it over and over again, you know, it people remember it. So I hope you guys have a great day.